0: uh hello
1: hello hello
0: how's it going
1: pretty good good,
0: good? yeah how, how are your days
1: all right it was good
0: well i mean we all spent most of the day together
1: yeah we've been together yes. for like eight hours now and we barely talked to each other <laughs> that is correct as
0: the best of friends do <laughs> um hello everybody
1: Hello. That again. wasn't for
0: you, that was for the audience. Oh, okay. I was saying hello to them. Oh, we're I was both giving, saying hi to them. Too. I was giving them time to respond. So hello audience. It's
2: like Dora. You pause for them to respond.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> I saw a really funny Dora meme video on YouTube the other day, but I can't remember what it is. So this comment was pretty <laughs> useless. <turns out. laughs>
1: that's that's really funny, Andrew. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah,
0: it's great. Um <laughs> Minute 20 and we're on fire, guys. Um, (laughs) Welcome to uh, episode 17 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where the three of us get together, watch a movie, and then talk about it.
1: The only one.
0: The only one. You might find other podcasts that watch movies and then talk about them, and you might find other podcasts that we are on. You won't. No, you you won't. won't. But This is the only podcast where both of those things come together, and we are episode 17 a Baker's Dozen and a Half.
2: I'm just done trying Yeah Yeah Right I'm just gonna we're let done. this slide
0: It's a baker's dozen and a half
1: It's your turn audience <laughs> Please Whatever. write in and tell Andrew how wrong he is And Am- We'll pause for a second so that you can yell at him <laughs> Alright enough yelling
0: Okay um, Guys we're part two of three Of the Dark Knight trilogy Which means That I got something to say I'm Batman <laughs> I got to say, I love it. <laughs> when Harvey Dent gets up there and he's like, I am the Batman. It's like, nobody believes you, dude. Mm. Because Batman says, so fake. I'm Batman. He doesn't say, I am the Batman. <laughs> Give me a break. Little citizens of Gotham. You guys are just real gullible. And um, if you haven't seen The Dark Knight, I just spoiled a pretty key scene for you. So
1: That is true.
0: Welcome to our discussion of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight released in 2008 is that right good heavens
1: wow that's a long time ago that's a
0: long time ago it's 10 years 10 years old this movie's 10 years old
2: i just thought about how old i was when i saw that kids that
0: were born when this movie came out are like walking and talking
2: have been for a while now i certainly hope so i don't know
0: what 10 year olds do (laughs) probably play Fortnite. i don't know kids that were (laughs) born when this movie came out are playing Fortnite.
2: Probably yeah. right now, they probably think this movie's really old.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> oh,
2: you mean that old one?
0: Oh, the old Batman.
2: <laughs> they don't even know that Michael Keaton exists.
0: Or bat nipples.
2: <gasps> how could they not? Everyone should know that bat nipples. Everyone exist. <laughs> should know about
0: the bat nipples. Um, so yeah, if you missed our discussion last week, uh, we talked about Batman Begins and how it's a good movie. Uh, that's pretty much the summary of it. We enjoyed it. Yes. Um, but I think that we can all agree that there is a significant jump in quality from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, and that's why we're going to uh, dive into it. Again, uh, this is part two. Part three will come next week with our discussion of The Dark Knight Rises. And that will conclude our discussion of The Dark Knight Trilogy. So we're excited to do this. This is a movie that we all really love. And I think we're stoked to talk about it. We've got some hopefully interesting things to say. Um, this is one that I think that a lot of people have seen but hopefully we can uh, break down and, and help you understand why it's such a good movie and why we enjoy it so much. So uh, with that, uh, we are going full spoilers from here on out. Um, if you haven't seen Dark Knight, just go watch it. It's got a 9 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, it's consistently in their like top 250 movies. I don't know where it's sitting right now. I don't know that it easily says it. Um, I'll look it up. Really, it's just great. Um, and go watch it if you haven't, and then come back and listen to us talk about it. And we're going to start this off with some hot takes, as always. Turn it over to Becca. Oh, Sorry, right. Sorry, real
1: quick. It's rated number four.
0: It's number four oh, wow. on yeah. IMDb's top 250 movies. So
1: not just in the 250. I
0: didn't know it was that high.
1: In the top five.
0: <laughs> what, hang on. What are the top five? Really quick.
1: Uh,
2: number one, Shawshank Redemption. Two, The Godfather. Three, Godfather Part Two. Four, The Dark Knight. Five Twelve angry men
0: that's not bad actually Mm-mm. it's not horrible all
1: right
0: all right becca hot takes becca what is your hot take my on, hot take on the dark knight
1: well i love this movie as andrew said we all very much love this movie i think it's just like the superhero movie to end all superhero movies like it's just it everything that you could ever need in a superhero movie um i would say my biggest hot take is the joker i mean that's kind of what makes this movie is the joker and that's all really just the joker that's my hot take
0: <laughs> you think that the joker is hot
1: yeah there's there's <laughs> some, there's some hot performance vibes <laughs> <laughs> hot well, acting
0: well folks don't burn yourself on that hot take very, sid? very creepy but sid what's your hot take
2: My hot take is, I love this movie so, so, so much. This, I feel like this is kind of the movie, like I've said before, this is kind of the movie that uh, awakened my love of film. I saw this, I I feel like last week you said that um, Batman Begins was like nostalgia for you. Mm -hmm. This is nostalgia for me. This is the first movie I ever saw on IMAX, and this is the first movie where like I noticed the cinematics of the movie and the music and i just this movie is so perfect i love it so much that's my hot take i could talk about everything all the time
0: uh my uh my hot take is this um that also i love this movie i think that it maybe doesn't have quite as much nostalgia as batman begins for me it came out in 2008 so i was 16 yeah. when this
2: came out i was 13 so
0: um, definitely it in theaters, definitely loved it. And I think that this opened the door for a lot of people as well as Hollywood, Hollywood in general, as to what superhero movies could become, what they had the potential to be. Uh, we kind of, I guess the film industry kind of showed their hand early with this one. Cause is this, when did Iron Man come out? When did we decide? 2008. So it came out the same year. Uh-huh. So I think that this and Iron Man are kind of the two. Uh, kickstarters of the superhero movie craze Um, very uh, tonally different but they showed us in two very different ways what superhero movies could be and what the potential was uh, for them moving forward and I think that um, what Iron Man uh, tried and succeeded to do uh, has been much more I guess proliferated than this Uh, The only people who have really tried to match what the Dark Knight is doing has been really other DC projects and uh, mostly stuff with Zack Snyder helming it, which is kind of unfortunate because stuff like Batman v. Superman had a lot of potential. Um, Even Superman Returns is a pretty great movie. Um, You know, Justice League has a lot of potential, but uh, Zack Snyder couldn't help but Zack Snyder it up, which was great for Watchmen, but not for the DC Universe. So... It's cool that this and the Dark Knight Rises are kind of the, I guess, the hallmarks of dark, gritty superhero movies that actually managed to pull it off. Um, So where where Becca said that this is the best superhero movie ever, I think that it's definitely up there. But I have a hard time uh, kind of saying that it's the best because I think that it's almost like dark superhero movies and like marvel superhero movies are almost two different genres
1: yeah yeah that's totally. so when we talk about
0: the best superhero movies ever i think that it comes down to uh the dark knight and then a tie between infinity war and civil war i think that yeah and black panther actually black panther is really far up there as well
1: that's totally fair
0: i've been thinking about black panther a lot lately i'd love to talk about that a little bit if we can Maybe do like a mini episode on Black Panther or something. That'd be cool. Because Black Panther is really good.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, but that's my take on this is that, I mean, the 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 jump in quality between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight is really apparent from the, the opening shots. And it, like we, we, so we just bought a new TV and it looks great because it's in 4K. But we've watched a lot of movies um, on the TV since we got it. We've got an Xbox One X, so it upscales everything to 4K. So everything we watch is technically in 4K. But the opening shot of this movie, I literally said out loud, I was like, wow, this looks great. Because it does. Um, I think that again, the the jumping quality is just enormous between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And um it just, you know, it kicks off running and it just it doesn't let up. Um before we jump too much into discussion, I want to note that the Academy agrees uh, as far as the jump in quality between the Dark Knight, or from Batman Begins to the Dark Knight. Uh, this was nominated for a number of Academy Awards. Uh, Heath Ledger won supporting actor for the Joker. You could argue that him and Batman are co-leads, which I would, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, definitely. And it won sound editing as well. Um, odd to see sound mixing and sound editing go to two different films, but whatever. Uh, it was nominated for cinematography, editing, art direction. I don't really know what that means. Do they have that anymore even? I feel like I don't remember movies winning art direction.
2: I think, is that supposed to be like...
0: Is it production design? Is yeah, that the new... Yeah, I think that's probably it. Okay. Uh, makeup, sound mixing, and visual effects. Odd that it wasn't nominated for best picture, honestly, or best director.
2: Well, a uh, little trivia for your early... Ooh. Uh, a lot of people think this movie is the reason why they added 10 for the best best uh picture see
0: but i'm looking at the academy awards for this year this was the year that um slumdog millionaire won uh-huh. and i mean benjamin button was freaking nominated
2: yeah well i mean yeah this was when they were doing the only five could be nominated yeah so i think this is when they were like Okay, that's expanded because a lot of people were also lobbying for Wally to be nominated.
0: Dude, Wally's dope.
2: It is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a good turning point for the Oscars.
0: Yeah. Also. Here's the thing. I think that I'm in the minority. I don't know. I, I know a lot of people love The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I strongly dislike it.
1: I haven't seen I it. I don't. I don't. Really I watched want it to. once.
0: And I don't like it at all.
2: This Man. this just doesn't look like a strong year.
0: Here's the thing. I haven't seen Milk or The Reader. So what was nominated, folks, was Slumdog Millionaire, Frost Nixon, Milk, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and The Reader. And I think that this is a stronger movie than all three of them that I've seen. So Slumdog Millionaire, Frost Nixon, and Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I think this is a better movie than all three of those. Oh, yeah. Although it's close yeah. with Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon's really good.
1: Never seen it. You should. I've never seen it.
0: Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think that just before we jump in too heavily... Um, I think that it deserved a, a, at least the nomination in all of these, the cinematography in this movie is astounding. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. Uh, but the makeup and costume design as well are incredible. Um, visual effects, I think is kind of odd because of how practical most of this stuff is, but I guess that might get rolled in. I'm not sure. Um, editing is just great. Uh, production design, incredible, and then obviously Heath Ledger. So, really, probably, honestly, the only person that deserves to get nominated out of this movie is Heath Ledger.
2: Yeah, i yeah. probably say so. I mean,
0: the, Christian Bale's Batman performance is just so meme-y. Like, he's a meme, and I love it. Oh. Where is she? <laughs> it's great. I love him, but... Um, I wouldn't say that he get. I mean, Heath Ledger just disappears into this role. And that's incredible. We'll talk about that a lot. I think one of the most interesting things to talk about this movie is the Joker and Heath Ledger's performance of him. So, um, let's uh, kind of dive in there. Uh, Sid, you said you had a lot of notes. What's your, uh, I guess, most anticipated topic here?
2: Oh, boy. Um, one thing that I really like... So, I've seen this movie probably well over a dozen times and I feel like every time I watch it I pick up new information because they really spell out everything that's going on but you kind of really have to be paying attention and listening to understand what they're saying and so there were a lot of points where I was like you know things were clicking in my head like oh this is going to lead to that thing like I never even realized that it was Gordon driving the SWAT truck oh yeah and, and like I had to ask if it was him so I think that is a really strong point in the movie because even if you're not really paying attention to the plot, it's still an awesome movie. But if you're paying attention and seeing what the follow through is of everything they're saying, it makes it 10 times better.
0: And one of my favorite things about this movie, and I I wrote it down further on my list. um, But the, I think you're right. There is a lot of, a lot of through lines and a lot of uh, foreshadowing and things that lead to other things, but the movie is still very comic booky. Like, yeah. these plans are just absurd. W- like, would never work in a million years. Yeah, never. None of the Joker's plans would ever work.
1: Like, how is he going to get bombs everywhere?
0: Yeah, like, who rigged up the hospital, for one? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Second, like, you think about the logistics of some of these plans. Like, when they're in uh the mayor's office, and he's hung the fake Batman and, like, swings him down on the on and like into the window yeah i'm like one did you measure the rope to like see how far he would have to fall to time it to when they're in the window and then who threw him off the roof and where did that guy go
2: (laughs) and how did they know how
0: did you get the body up there like when you think of the logistics of some of these things everything just falls apart so it's it's but that's not a that's not a slight against the movie i enjoy that aspect of it i enjoy that it's still very much a comic book movie yes it's dark and gritty and grounded but it's not too grounded And ridiculous garbage still happens. And I love it. Even like, how did he, how did you sneak a hundred barrels of gasoline onto boats? Was the captain not like, hmm, this boat's a little heavy. Or did literally nobody go check the engine before they (laughs) left? Like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of things that just don't make a lot of sense, but I love that aspect of it. And it's a really strong testament to the tone of the movie as well as the world design that you're so drawn in that it's not until you remove yourself and take a few steps back that you're like, none of this really works. Yeah. (laughs) But like you're living, you're living in this world. And so according to the rules of this world that Nolan has created, you can have these ridiculous comic book moments because that's just how things are in this world.
1: Yeah. I know. I, I like that aspect of it as well. That's just what makes it
2: so fun. You're just like, this doesn't make any sense, but it's awesome. So I'm going to excuse it.
0: And I guess that's, that's what it is, is on top of being like another one of my notes that I wrote is it gets really freaking dark in this movie. Like, especially towards the end, I, the the scene that made me write that down is towards the end. Um, when Harvey Dent has the gun to Gordon's kid, he's like, lie to him, lie to him until it's going to be okay. I'm like, that's dark stuff right there, man. Like (laughs) that's messed up. But like the movie is fun. And you have a good time watching it, but like it also has a lot to say about just like life and humanity and the goodness of man and all that kind of jazz.
1: And I think you can kind of like choose how you want to watch it. Like you can really just watch it to be entertained or you can watch it to like really dive deep and like really get some real hundred percent thoughts from it.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I guess again, speaking to the strength of, I guess the movie as a whole, this movie's two and a half hours long.
2: It doesn't yeah. feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. No, it really doesn't. I mean, especially compared to the movie we watched right before. was so, also two and a half hours. No, long. <laughs> it's,
0: it's literally the, if I'm not mistaken, they're two hours and 32 minutes, right? Is yeah. Is that? Yeah. They are literally to the minute, the exact same length.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> but this feels half as long. Yeah. It's crazy. We'll talk about what we went and saw
1: mm-hmm.
0: a little bit during other topics, but it's going to come up at the end of the year again. So, um, yeah, I think... Oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say one thing while we're kind of on the like comic book-y topic. Uh, one thing that I like about this movie um, is I feel like most superhero movies, the main character ends up dying and then coming back to life like that's kind of like
0: oh you mean like happens. batman versus superman they <laughs> yeah. show the gosh darn rocks floating on the top of his casket <laughs> and you're like and i, I was like oh zach snyder i thought you might actually have some balls and kill Sp- uh, kill superman he's like nope superman's invincible and he's gonna come <laughs> back because he has to be in justice league and here's uh jason momoa he's aquaman and nobody cares about anybody else
1: Yes, exactly that. I
0: hate <laughs> Justice League. <laughs>
1: it's it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Like when watching superhero movies, that they don't just die. Hundred
0: mm-hmm. percent, and that's so that that's kind of my big gripe, and I've kind of gotten over it. Um, specifically with Civil War, I think Infinity War obviously went a totally different direction. Um, that was my big big gripe coming out of Civil War is I was like one of them should have died, either Iron Man or Captain America, and I don't care who, but one of them needs to die. But they didn't have the balls to do it. You know, you put it in Disney's court and they're not going to kill anybody. I mean, they kind of half paralyzed War Machine, but that hardly counts. So I think that this, I mean, this movie has some balls. It kills people.
1: Yeah. And that's what I love about it. I mean, they do bring Gordon back, but.
0: Well, but it, it was the plan to fake his death all along. Yeah,
1: exactly. So that's but, fine. And like believable.
0: But it's not cheapened because they do kill Rachel and they do kill Dent.
1: Yeah. And yeah, that's what I love that they have the guts to just like make it real, like make it real for Bruce Wayne.
0: Well, and that's, um, that's what I think, uh, I guess tying that in is one of the strongest aspects of the Joker as a villain. And I guess we can get into this now if you guys want to.
1: Let's do it. Might as well. Let's it's leading in. to this anyway.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we were going to get here eventually and we'll, we'll talk about some other stuff. Um, like, I don't think that bringing Gordon back specifically is is cheapened because, and this is my note, and you'll have to apologize. You have to excuse me for the language here, but I couldn't think of another way <laughs> That's to say what it. So it says, here, at. it says here: it says <laughs> here, Ra's al Ghul's plan was bad, but the Joker is on some real shit. Like <laughs> he's he's just actually murdering people. So like it, main characters die, but like people die, just cops die. and civilians. Yeah. Like these consequences to Batman and to the city are extremely real. And that's, I think part of what makes the Joker so effective is he's not blowing smoke up your butt. Like he says, I'm going to murder people. He murders people, just kills them in like really theatrical ways. He attempts to kill the mayor, like, and he's, he's so smart. But I think that's, that to me is what it came down to as to one of the biggest reasons why the Joker in this film is such a terrifying villain is that he's not faking. In anything. Mm
1: -hmm. And he's not going after the city. He's going after Batman. Which is like. I don't know. I think that's what's so cool about this movie. It's just Batman versus Joker. And literally everything bad that happens. Is a consequence of that.
0: Yeah. And I actually wrote this down. Because I never thought. Like Sid said. You notice new things. And kind of getting into that. um, Again what makes the Batman such an effective villain. Is that he's only going after Batman. He doesn't care about Anything else. He sees Batman. And at the end, he even says it. He's like, so this is it. You're really incorruptible. Like, you can't be got. He's like, you and I, we're going to do this forever. Because you won't kill me and I won't kill you. And you realize that the his entire plan, he didn't give a crap about Gotham. Or he says he says the battle for Gotham's soul. I don't think he means it. Literally, all he wanted to do was break Batman's spirit. And show people, but I think himself as well, that anybody could be broken. And so I love it when he gets into the first scene, when he goes down in the basement with them right after he does the pencil trick. Um, he says to them, he says, give me a call when you want to take things a little more seriously. And then obviously the whole, like the Joker's whole line from this, that's on a million t-shirts and edgy MySpace profiles is the why so serious thing. So he's like he's like, Let me know you want to take this seriously. And he's like, Why are you guys taking this so seriously? Like he's messing he's he's not only messing with the cops and with the civilians, but like with the mob and and the bad guys as well. He's just screwing with everybody mm-hmm. because like he wants to tilt Batman.
1: <laughs> yeah, like there's not anybody that's actually on his side or anyone yeah. that he will let be on his side. It's just him.
0: Yeah. And I mean it's like Alfred says, like some some men just wanna see the world burn. And that's it. And you can't fight that. Like you just, but There's nothing you can do about it.
2: There's no way to reason with him or manipulate him to change sides. He's Be- just incorruptible like Batman.
0: But the opposite. Yeah. And that's, again, a um, really excellent video about this. We don't want to take credit where it's not due. Uh, uh, really excellent video by Lessons from the Screenplay on that exact thing.
1: Everyone go watch it.
0: Yeah, it's a great video. Uh, But that's what he talks about mostly in that video is that, again, the Joker is such an effective villain because he's just a mirror to Batman. He's incorruptible in the opposite direction.
2: Another thing that I was thinking about when you were comparing him to Ra's al Ghul, I mean, thinking back, I don't really remember like Ra's al Ghul directly killing anyone, but it was kind of just, um, what am I trying to say? What's the word I'm thinking of? I'm not sure. I don't know. But it was like all the deaths that did happen was kind of just like a side effect of his plan. Mm-hmm. This one, you're like seeing the Joker actually kill people. Yeah. I think that makes him much scarier.
0: Well, and it's interesting because you see... And I hadn't thought about this until literally right this second. But if, if we're comparing Razal al Ghul and the Joker, Ra's al Ghul is just the logical overextension of Batman's vigilanteism, right? Like they're like, oh, we will fix a problem by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And the Joker's like, I'm gonna cause a problem by any means necessary. It's just like they're they're different aspects of Batman's I guess philosophy taken to extremes and then thrown back at him. That's really interesting.
1: And I think this movie shows that really well right in the very beginning when it shows like the first like heist. I guess with Joker and oh, his men. That scene is so freaking. Good. It's so, so good, <laughs> but like right off the bat, you know, like boom, 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 they're just like killing each other. Mm-hmm. Well, Joker's killing all of them, mm-hmm. and like he gets away like on his own, and like right away, you know, like he doesn't care about anybody. Like
0: well, yeah, as he, as he goes, like somebody outlives their their usefulness, and pop.
2: Yep. Then you think about the beginning scene, and his whole goal to get to Batman. You kind of try and trace it back where, like, he's talking to the mob, like, okay, we need to get in there and get into Batman. How do I get into with the mob? Okay, I rob all their money, and then I find a way to get in there. It's just, like, when you really think about it, it's just so genius, and it's so freaking...
1: And he doesn't care about the money. One of my favorite scenes is when he just burns all the money. Yeah. Like As he say he's
0: like he's like, I have simple pleasures. Gasoline and gunpowder. What do they all have in common? Those things are cheap. They're cheap. Those yeah. Things, <laughs> gas is
2: cheap. Gas is not cheap.
0: I guess <laughs> no. compared to like missiles and penthouses it probably is.
1: Yeah, I guess so. It's just like I don't know I love that scene like you just see this huge stack of money and he's like yeah I just yeah. like robbed it's,
0: it's wh- very different right. sorry no you go
2: um it's very different from normal motivation of the ba- of a bad guy is they're you know greedy they're trying to get power doing you know whatever they can to get that but he's just doing it for the fun of it
0: yeah and that's why I mean uh, tying this into Infinity War I think that He's, I mean, he's a crazy good villain for a lot of the same reasons that Thanos is a crazy good villain because they, they don't want the normal things and that messes with us. You look at somebody like, um, if we look at something like Skyfall, right? Great James Bond movie, but the villain wants revenge and we can sympathize with that, right? Like we see, oh man, this guy got pushed really far and he wants some revenge. I feel like the Joker is a really effective villain because he's incredibly difficult to sympathize with. Like, he just wants to see the world burn. And I think that that scene that you were talking about, Becca, where he burns the money is so effective past the burning. But for the... I, I almost find the couple of minutes beforehand more, uh, I guess, impactful and, and kind of unsettling. Because he, like, jumps down the the tower of money and then he starts just dancing around. Like, he starts throwing chunks of money at, at Lao. And, like, the symbolism of that to just, like, throw money at Lao and hit him in the face with it. Where... Like, Lau and the rest of the guys, like, their whole deal was money. Get more and more and more money. And now Lau is sitting on top of this stack of money, having it thrown at his face. And, I mean, he's miserable. Probably because he's going to die. But you know what I mean? Like, he's not only... It's almost like it's a... Like, if we're talking video game terms here, like, his main quest is to, like, F with Batman. And and break his spirit or whatever but like screwing with the mob is like a side quest to him he's like yeah when i've got time like i'll really mess with these guys too (laughs) it's like almost a happy side effect for him
1: and we don't even really get any like background for the joker like the two scenes that come to mind are both with the like why so serious thing um the one when he's got one of the mob guys Mm -hmm. and he's like tells the story of like my dad was like why so serious or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) and
0: then with his wife yeah yeah always smiling
1: yeah ah. he tells two different stories of like how he got his scars
0: which i think is a brilliant move on nolan's part because in the comic books the joker does have an origin story like a definitive origin story yeah but he doesn't he doesn't have that here
1: And I think that makes him so much more scary because he's so unpredictable. You don't know anything about his past or how he came to be who he is. You just know that he's terrifying and he is out to kill. Yeah. And that's like another reason
2: why you can't sympathize with him. You can't find out how he got to be so terrible. So he's just this thing that you hate and you can't find anything that's human
0: about him. And that's, and that's the thing is I think that it's also difficult to sympathize with him because he, I mean like, yeah, his objective is to break Batman's spirit, but I think the most honest thing that he says in the movie is when he's talking to Harvey Dent and he's like, I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one. If I caught it, I just do things. And that's horrifying because the things that he just does are kill people. So he's not out to kill people. He just does.
1: Well, and that whole scene kind of explains everything. And again, why the Joker is so scary because everybody else has all of these plans. And, you know, like the police have ways to catch the bad guys and they plan and they scheme. But he is just so unpredictable and just does what he does. And it's terrifying.
0: And I mean, it's impossible to talk about why he's so effective without talking about Heath Ledger's performance. I kept, I started like to note down scenes. Uh, where he scared me. And this is us coming off of watching a horror movie every day for 31 days. <laughs> and this dude scares me. Yeah. Like, not in a way that, like, a horror movie does that I'm like, is there a ghost in my vent? But, like, he he wigs me out because I'm just like, you're you're totally nuts. I think that, I mean, just really quickly, and we can, I guess, talk more in depth about any of these that you guys want to, but um, the pencil scene, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think is one of the more memorable sequences in cinema in the last ten years. Oh yeah. Um, when he recruits somebody from Gamble's crew, and he jumps up and he's he's all up in his face. The way that Heath Ledger changes the tone of his voice but when he's he's either giggling or he's um, you know getting real low and yelling at people. There's the scene, the first movie, the first video that he releases to the news, where. He's like telling the guy, um, he's, like, he's like questioning the guy and like, then why do you dress up at him? the guy won't look at him. And he just yells, look at me. And it like echoes around. And it, oh my gosh. When you're like, because you, he's scary because he's doing all this crazy crap. But like you get these little glimpses of when he loses control and it's
1: even more scary.
0: Yeah, because even like in the fundraising scene, which I think is one of the better performed scenes in this movie when he crashes the party. Yep. Like she punches him in the gut and he's like, "Ooh, you guys are fighting you. I like you." Or even the the interrogation scene where he's getting the crap kicked out of him. Like he holds it together. But you get those small little glimpses every once in a while where he loses control and you're like, "This could be so much worse." <laughs> if he like if he if he wasn't so focused on taking batman down like this could be so much worse
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think one of the scariest scenes for me with the joker is after he gets out of jail and he's in the car and he's sticking his head uh. out the window that's
0: so unsettling uh. and he's
1: just swerving back and forth like it's just terrifying cuz he's free and he's just like so happy about it sticking he's his head like out the a window dog. Yeah, just
2: enjoying life.
0: Yeah, on Ugh. top of that, I think that two others that come to mind immediately is just terrifying scenes. Is uh, the first after he he so his semi truck gets flipped and he's standing in the middle of the road and Batman is charging at him with the bike, and he's like, "Come on, come hit on, me. come on, hit me, hit me, hit, hit me!" me. <laughs> like he wants him to uh-huh. because that would mean that he wins. Like if Batman in that moment hits him with his bike and kills him, the Joker wins because what he wanted to do was to get Batman to break his one rule, which is not to kill people. So that's number 1, and then number 2 is when he's in the hospital with Harvey Dent, and he gives Harvey the gun and puts it up against his forehead. Cuz like the dude he just doesn't care. Like in either of those moments if he had died, he wouldn't care.
2: Well, have you seen the how he has his thumb on the hammer of the gun? No. So, well like the thing is you know, he's saying that he he doesn't have a plan. He's just going with the flip uh-huh. basically. And so if the chances that Harvey flips the coin and it says to kill him, he wouldn't be able to kill him because he's got his thumb on the hammer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: That makes that scene a little less scary.
2: Yeah. It's still <laughs> scary.
0: But maybe, I don't know. Because he's getting inside Harvey's head.
2: Yeah. Yeah. In the same vein, I think the scene with him and remember his name but when they're in the interrogation room and he's Mm -hmm. talking to the cop yeah and he's just manipulating him and just like getting you like to know which of
0: your friends were cowards i think
2: that scene is so scary because
0: you that's the scene more than any other i think that shows how smart he is
2: Uh, yeah because he's crazy so you kind of let your guard down well i mean you probably wouldn't but you wouldn't expect him to come at you psychologically like that and it's so good
0: (sighs) and one thing that i love about his performance and i think this comes across more than any other time uh during the first time when he meets with the mob down in the kitchen but he plays the performance with a really i guess uneasy balance between like overconfidence and insecurity because um he's trying to deliver his whole speech or whatever and they're like you're crazy and he's like i'm not no i'm not crazy t- like uh, it, because he's like
1: like, you can tell that he's been called that his whole life. Yeah. He's been called a freak.
0: Yeah. So, like, and you see those little those little slivers of insecurity come through. And I don't know. He just comes across as, while insane and um, definitely very unsettling as a character, he does come across as very human. He's a person.
1: Yeah. Which makes it even more scary to yeah. me.
0: Which, again, gets you thinking, like, what brought him to this point? Like, how do you, how does a person become like this? And that becomes even, I don't know, that's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> There's a a pretty popular fan theory going around. You can search Reddit or Google for it. Um, that he's actually, um, like, an Iraq or Afghanistan vet.
2: Yeah, that's one of the, like, fan theories. Yeah. But they considered putting in his origin. But, I mean, kind of what we're getting at. Uh, Nolan just liked how not telling it just kind of dehumanized him and you know didn't allow for that sympathy which is great
0: yeah I don't know I just and then coming back to it one more time because I think that it's so key to why his character is so scary is that every all of his actions have consequences even I'm just thinking back to the scene he where he kills Gamble so he comes out of the body the body bag you know puts his knife to his face scares him and then he's like and they do this a few times during the film um, where they say more by not showing things. Um, but when he breaks the pool stick and he's like, we only got one opening. So we're going to have tryouts. Yes. And then he just walks away.
1: Leaves a lot up to the imagination. Which like, is terrifying.
0: And you don't see which of those guys wins. I mean, th- he probably shows up later at some win. I don't know. I didn't pay enough attention to the individual henchmen. But like everything he does has real consequences even like you think about it like we we laugh it off because it's a crazy awesome scene but like even the pencil scene like he murders a dude Mm -hmm. just because he walked up to him
1: (laughs) so crazy
0: i don't know i think definitely a very 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 deserved oscar Mm -hmm. also the only um uh supporting actor to win posthumously
2: who else was nominated?
0: That's what I'm looking up right here. Uh, Heath Ledger, uh, Michael Shannon in Revolutionary Road. He does give a great performance there. Yeah, he is good. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder, Josh Brolin in Milk, and Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt. That's I've... a
2: pretty stacked category.
0: Yeah. though I mean, I haven't seen any of those other than Revolutionary Road, actually. Um, but those are all fantastic categories. I'd love to see Josh Brolin get an Oscar. And I actually do think that he should be nominated for Thanos. He's pretty good. But off to see, I don't know, supporting supporting actor and actress is always such a hard one to call. Yeah. Um, but I would, I here's the thing, it's slightly off topic, but it is a superhero movie. I would love to see both Infinity War and Black Panther get some love this year at the Oscars. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's several categories that they deserve it. Specifically, uh, Infinity War, visual effects, and yeah. Josh Brolin. Yeah. As well as uh, just direction. That movie's crazy well directed
2: but yeah. now that they're doing the most popular movie i thought they
0: ditched that i thought they pulled back on it they did that's what i last yeah. read yeah they I'll got be rid of it so
2: happy if they did
0: the most uh, was it best popular movie aka the black panther category yeah. <laughs> so now disney's just pushing to get black panther nominated for best picture I which if they're doing here's the thing if they're doing mm-hmm. 10 films why not yeah yeah black Panther's a great movie um but yeah so that's Kind of most of my thoughts about Heath Ledger and the Joker. Uh, One more thing. Again, kind of how this mirrors, in a lot of ways, uh, Batman Begins. Um, We talked about this a little bit last week, but Batman Begins, every event in that movie is a ripple effect from Batman showing up in Gotham. And the Dark Knight, every single thing that happens is a ripple effect of the Joker showing up.
1: But the Joker shows up because Batman
0: showed up. Sure, but I, so, j- I just think it's an interesting way to structure a story.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's
2: like the ripple from Batman Begins is the Joker showing up. Yeah. And yeah. then this movie is the ripple of Joker.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And that actually brings me... Did you guys have, before I segue, I, w- I was going to have a really good segue, but is there anything else that we want to talk about on this?
2: I just want to say how amazing it is that when the Joker is in his nurse's costume, that he has a, a vote for Dent sticker.
0: Does he? Yeah, I noticed that. I thought that was amazing. That's actually great.
2: But that's all I have to... Well, I mean, I could talk about it for years, but that's all I have to say for right now.
0: Cool. So uh, going back to that, that, basically everything that happens in this movie is a ripple of the Joker showing up. I think that the evolution of Batman and the fact that they have let some time pass between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight is a really smart choice. They don't tell us how much time, but it's enough that the city has gotten used to Batman. Nine months. Nine months? Mm-hmm. When do they, do they say that? On the trivia. Oh, all right. Yeah. So it's enough time for the city to get used to Batman. Mm-hmm. And you see that in the second scene um, when freaking Scarecrow is just like doing it. Is it like a drugs deal or an arms deal? I don't know, down in the garage. Mm-hmm. And it's like a Thursday night for Batman to take down Scarecrow Yeah, when he was like... <laughs> The second biggest dude yeah. in Batman Begins, you know what I mean? And as I talked about last week, I love that they keep having Scarecrow cameos throughout all three movies, just to show you how lame he is. Yeah. <laughs> but um,
2: that's not to say Killian Murphy is lame. No, just no, not at all. Not at all.
0: Um, Doctor Crane is lame. Yes. Um, but I, it's so interesting because Batman has gotten comfortable, and the city has gotten comfortable. They've sunk into this kind of rhythm. Of like, yeah, things are good. There's still petty crime, but Batman's going to take care of it. You see the drug deal at the beginning where he's like, nah, man, I'm not feeling it tonight. Mm -hmm. And he just like drives off. And I think it's really interesting. And I I, I don't know. I think that highlights the fact that like that probably could have just gone on forever. Like Batman taking care of little petty crimes or whatever. But like naturally, there's always going to be escalation. Right. So Batman took down the mob. And the mob is pissed. And so now this guy shows up to escalate things. And I think that's just an interesting way to show it at the beginning of how, how comfortable he has become. He's even like the conversation he has with Alfred at the beginning about his suit. He's like, I think I need to make it lighter. Like I need to do this or that. Like he's just kind of fine tuning things. He's not making any big moves. And even when he goes to pick up Lao in Hong Kong, like it's this crazy elaborate plan. But it goes exactly according to plan. And it's just easy for him. Mm -hmm. Like the Joker makes things not easy again. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting to watch.
2: Yeah, that's one of the notes that I got. It was kind of more specifically Bruce's development Mm -hmm. and him kind of becoming comfortable being that douchebag that he has to put a front on. Yeah. Um, But then I think that also is good looking at the direct opposite of him when he's Batman and seeing the difference in the role that he plays and the role that he is. I think it's really good.
0: And again, I mean, moving towards the end of the film, but it's, it's great how they show Bruce's evolution of the understanding of the role that Batman plays. Like at the end, when he realizes that he's got to take the fall for what Harvey Dent did, like that's such a key moment for both Bruce and Batman. Because like, I think in a lot of, I think the instinct would be like his whole thing was like, I want to get to a point where they don't need Batman anymore so that I can be with Rachel. And you would think that, um, you know, well, Rachel dies, Harvey dies. So the city needs Batman still like, or even like out of anger, he would just be like, no, now I'm for sure not giving it up. Mm-hmm. But like he realizes like, oh, the city doesn't need Batman anymore. And he just kind of has to go live as that douchebag that he's not like Bruce Wayne is Batman. Batman is who he is at his core and Bruce Wayne is the performance. Mm -hmm. Right. So now he's got to like sink back into that life. I think that's got to be kind of disappointing for him because he does enjoy what he does as Batman. I think Yeah. as much as it sometimes sucks. Yeah. But again, that whole, Idea, and we could talk about this for a while, but I—it's I, a tough theme to break down. But that idea of like hero that the city deserves versus the hero that the city needs, and knowing what that distinction is, and and where that line is drawn—I think that's a really interesting, I guess, aspect of this film that gets talked about, and it's kind of the the balance between Harvey and and Batman as far as like what they need and what they deserve.
1: And along with that, we haven't mentioned, like, the one line that is, like, so good. Um, where he says, you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain.
0: That's, like, one of the more... I guess, I, I, according, gospel according to Andrew. I think that is one of the more true statements that has ever been uttered as far as humanity goes.
1: Yeah. And, like, just to see like, Harvey's character throughout and see that, like, be true and then see it be true in, like, like everybody is, I don't know, it's really powerful in know movie. Yeah. And then you see how Bruce
2: takes that and switches it where he makes himself become the villain, but is actually becoming the good guy, which I think it's great. I've said that 20,000 times during yeah. this, but it's so great.
0: Well, it's him not allowing... Um, Harvey Dent to become the villain. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's
2: so he's taking on the role, and
0: that's actually so. There's another quote that goes hand in hand with that that I wrote down here that I I've never paid a lot of attention to this quote, but I think it's just as important as that one. And um, it's be- because uh, Gordon is like, no, what are you doing? Like, we need Batman more than ever right now. When Batman is explaining to Gordon like how he's gonna take the fall and everything, and he tells Gordon sometimes people deserve better than the truth. I think that's a really, really, really interesting thought. I think it's one that could easily be taken to extremes and be used as a justification to lie. But I, I think in this situation specifically, that's an incredibly interesting thought to, to kind of mull over a little bit is the idea that sometimes people deserve better than the truth.
1: Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're dealing with someone like the Joker, you know, like that's just a way to give Gotham hope. So... Yeah. yeah, I totally agree.
0: Um, One more quote I love, uh, just as long as we're on this, is actually during the, I think it's during the money-burning scene, or it might be during the hospital scene. I don't remember. Um, no, it's during the hospital scene because it's what he tells Harvey yeah. Dent, right? Yeah. He's like, it's about sending a message. Like, that's all he's trying to do is send, and the message he's trying to send is that anybody can be broken. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just think it's... The Joker is very self-aware, which is scary as well.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um...
1: Well, and all of those themes come through just really throughout in Mm -hmm. every single situation. Um, But also with the two fairies, I think that's such a great scene of Mm -hmm. just like one fairy full of prisoners and the other full of civilians and them just like trying to decide like are we gonna kill a bunch of people or are we gonna die
0: well because here's the thing the fairy scene is the true answer to the joker's question because the joker wants to show the city that anybody can be corrupted right that's what he's trying to do is he's trying to break batman's spirit and he ends up switching to harvey dent because you know whatever but like he comes in with the goal of breaking batman to show the city that anybody can be broken But really, the fairy scene is the true answer to that because Batman is just one person. Harvey Dent is just one person. But what he showed us is that you can take, you know, 300 people and they're not going to turn on each other. I think that's a really powerful thing.
1: Yeah. And the moment when the prisoner just like takes it and it's like, I'm going to do what you should have done 10 minutes ago, throws it out the window. Like, yes, yes, you're right. Like, that's the answer. (laughs) Don't kill a bunch of people.
0: And the looks on everybody's faces when he does that. Like,
1: like they're like relieved. Yeah. Because like none of them wanted to do that.
0: Speaking of looks on people's faces, quick side note. Um, Thank goodness they got rid of uh Katie Holmes because yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal slays this <laughs> oh part. My
2: gosh. One of my notes is uh, Rachel is actually intimidating now. She's great. Yeah, she's yeah. so good.
0: She's so charismatic yeah. and... Uh, but the scene that impresses me the most is right before she dies because she, so she's talking to Harvey and Harvey's like, don't worry, they're coming for you. And she's like, I know they are. And then when she hears Batman come into the room with Harvey, you see it, it's almost, almost as good as the scene in Annihilation where um, Oscar Isaac shows up at home and Natalie Portman runs through like 65 different emotions in half a second. Yeah. You can see the thought process clicking in uh-huh. um, Rachel's head right there. And then she she's like, "It's okay. It's gonna be okay." And like she realizes that in that moment, what she has to do is just breathe. Yeah, because she's not gonna be breathing much longer.
1: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> <Ma'am>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yeah, uh, major props to Maggie Gyllenhaal. Seriously, yes. Because very they, good. Performance. Thank you for getting rid of Katie Thank Holmes. Thank <laughs> you
2: for saving the character of Rachel. Well, kind and of saving her.
0: her. Ooh. Ooh. R.I.P. Um, But that, uh, I guess, ties into, again, what I think is one of the uh, huge strengths of this movie. And as I said last week, a strength of Nolan movies in general. I'm sure that I'll talk about it again next week because he manages to, uh, you know, bring over some characters from last time. Obviously, we have, uh, you know, Bruce slash Batman, Alfred, Gordon, Fox. Rachel's actually awesome in this movie, but he introduces so many great characters as well. Harvey Dent, uh, the Joker, Lau is awesome. Awesome as, like, a just kind of little bag of dicks. Like, <laughs> the dude just sucks, but he's such an awesome character. <laughs> I love Lau in this, especially that scene where, um, he's like almost talking in code with Rachel uh-huh. and he's like, One big pot. Uh-huh. She's like, I'm So, what happens to all that money? I'm very good with calculations. I was like, Ah, oh, you suck and I hate you, but you're awesome. <laughs> Um, who are you guys' favorite characters in this other than the Joker?
2: Oh, uh, oh boy.
0: You can't say the Joker. I think my number two is still Alfred. Do you just such I, a boss? I was
1: just going to say like Alfred and Fox are just sure. on the same level yeah. for me. And they're just like always amazing yeah. because
0: straight up, Alfred is more responsible for the successes in this film than anybody else. Yeah. Like no joke. Um, he has like every single moment with him is just clutch there's this there's the speech about him uh you know the the jewel thief in burma um there's when after rachel's died and he basically tells batman to get over it because the city still needs you um when he when he burns the letter and like just taking like, being wise enough that when Rachel says, you know, give this to him when the time is right, and when he realizes that the time will never be right, so he burns the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, but then number one for me, and I think this is kind of understated, a number one Alfred moment for me is when uh, Bruce decides that he's going to turn himself in. And they're walking out. And I, because I, I, I don't, I, I, every time I watch this movie, I don't think about Alfred and the effect that that's going to have on him. But Alfred's like, you know, I suppose they'll take me as well for being your accomplice. And Bruce is like, I'm going to tell them the whole thing was your idea. <laughs> like, they both realize it. And Alfred is like, I'm going down for this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, Alfred is just as integral and sacrifices just as much for Batman to exist as Bruce does.
1: But he's so loyal. Like, I think he knew that from the beginning. They're like... He's no probably matter, the only
0: one that knew it from the beginning. Yeah.
1: Like no matter what happens, like um, with Bruce, like like
0: Fox kind of gets involved little by little until he realizes that he's in too deep. Um, but Alfred, right from the start, like he knows, mm-hmm. he knows that eventually this is going to end and he's probably going to go down for it. Yeah. Which makes the ending of the dark Knight rises a million times more satisfying when you think about it that way mm-hmm. that, out of everything in spoilers for next week. And we'll talk about this at length because one of the things that gets crapped on a lot about the dark Knight rises is the ending. Um, but I think the ending is perfect because out of everything that happens, the person who gets what they want is Alfred.
2: And he's the
1: one who deserves it. And
0: he's the one that deserves it more than anybody else. Definitely. There's also, I think one of my favorite it's, it's a two second thing, but it's when, um, Batman is talking to Gordon towards the end. And it's the same speech as sometimes people deserve better than the truth. But it's when Lucius puts his name into the sonar computer and it starts shutting down. And right at that moment, the voiceover says sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded.
1: I noticed that this time. I love that.
0: I love that moment.
1: Well, and that's one of the reasons why I really love Fox in this movie is that like he has the balls to be like. I quit. Like, you're doing something completely unethical. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to help with this.
0: Fox has huge balls in this movie. Like, <laughs> when he flies over to- <laughs> flies to Hong Kong, <laughs> he's like, our deal has to be put on hold. A businessman of your stature will understand. <laughs> he's like, M- Mr. Wayne didn't want you to think that he was deliberately wasting your time. Just <laughs> accidentally. accidentally wasting it then. Ah, accidentally. That's very good, Mr. Lau. <laughs>
1: I love
2: the scene where he's talking to... I don't even know. Stinky Steve from That's So Raven. Yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) What? What? What did you just say?
2: Stinky Steve from That's So Raven? That's the guy? Yeah. Heavens. (laughs) But I love when he's, you know, this guy's trying to be all intimidating. Be like, I want $10 million every year for the rest of my life. And he just like, he's so calm and just cool and collected. And he's like, you want to sue or blackmail the richest man in the world who's also a mask vigilante and oh, he's so cool
0: as he said he's like he's like you suspect that your client is a mass one of the most powerful and rich men in the world is a mass yes, vigilante who spends his evening beating criminals to a pulp with his bare hands and, and your right. plan is to blackmail oh this man gosh. <laughs> good and luck and the way that he, the way that he says that good luck is so smug <laughs> <laughs> and i love it
1: I, I love Fox. Fox is movie. great. I besides the Joker, I think he's my favorite character in this yeah. movie.
2: I think yeah, I'd probably go like Joker Alfred Fox for me.
0: I think I go Joker Alfred Harvey Dent. I love the character of Harvey Dent. Yeah, His really character good. arc is so fascinating. Yeah. And again, it's like because it's interesting, because the film does show you towards the end the Joker's like last monologue, where he's like, "Madness is like gravity; all it takes is a little push." Like, sure, Batman stays sane, and the people on the boat stay sane, but the movie still shows us like some people. That's all it takes, and it can be the best of us. Like, regardless of what they tell the city and what the uh, the message being sent out is, as far as like Batman taking the fall for it, the fact of the matter is that Harvey Dent was corrupted. Like the movie shows you that like sometimes people get got. Yeah. And you have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I love Harvey's character arc. And I think that, I mean, Aaron Eckhart, I don't know if he's ever had a good movie apart from this. (laughs) I just, I mean, I'm I'm sure that I'm wrong here. He
2: doesn't have a whole lot of big roles.
0: He's not a great actor. He does a fantastic (laughs) job in this, but I've seen him in other things. He's not a great actor. Props to Nolan. Maybe he just needs a, a really good director. I don't know.
1: Maybe his character is like his actual personality.
2: The only Maybe. thing I think I've seen him in was a seminary video in ninth grade. Really? <laughs> he used to be Mormon, and he got to start doing seminary. I remember videos. that. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. I think that's the only thing I've seen him in.
0: He's in the remake of The Wicker Man.
2: Ooh. But as. Ugh.
0: He was in Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Nothing really. Cause I remember like I saw him come up on a few things and I was like, Oh, Aaron Eckhart, he's two face. And then I've just never been impressed with him. So good job, Nolan for getting a good performance out of Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. And he does do a great job. Um, let's see. We're going to take uh, one opportunity each to discuss our favorite scene and or sequence in the film. And you need to pick one, and you get to say why you like it so much. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Do you have one?
1: Go to Sid first.
0: Do you have one?
2: I think so. Okay, number one, go. I think my favorite is the interrogation scene with the Joker. Did I just steal yours?
0: Yeah, but it's cool. I can okay. go with my number two.
2: Because, it, oh, it's so good, and it's all dark in there. And the good cop, bad cop routine, not exactly. It turns on the light, and he's right behind. Honestly, okay, just the very first shot. <laughs> The very first shot of that when it's just the joker and his face you just see his face and he's like talking to gordon and he's like leaving with your people and he like narrows his eyes at him and it's just oh my gosh that whole scene and the music i love it
1: so much
0: the score during that interrogation it's scene so is so good because incre- it's just like a sustained note that just goes up in pitch yeah yeah so good. The score in this is amazing. Oh. I can't believe that wasn't nominated. Because oh the score is so good.
1: Can we watch this again?
0: We have to watch The Dark Knight Rises. No.
1: We'll just do two podcasts in a row. Okay. On this On The maybe. Dark Knight? Yeah, let's do it. Becca? Okay. Um, My favorite scene is the scene after that, when he breaks out of jail. And it shows the guy with The phone in his That was my second favorite scene. Yucky. And like he comes out and he's like got a knife to the guy's neck and they're like, What do you want? He's like, All I want is my phone call. And they just like stop and look at him like, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So and then he breaks out and then it's the driving in the car, which is terrifying.
0: I think that my uh probably after the interrogation scene is probably... Oh, I just don't know. There's so many coming to mind. Rapid fire. Uh, The sequence between Alfred and Batman where Alfred tells the story about the jewel thief. Uh, The very opening sequence is just incredible. The sequence in the parking garage is great. Um, I do think I have to give it to... um, After... uh, Batman flips the truck and it's a short sequence, but I think that that is so key to both of their characters. And it's so well acted and so well done uh, when Batman. Uh, f- so he flips the truck and the Joker gets out and he's telling him to hit him. Like that's gotta be probably my number two after the interrogation scene. Cause I think both of those moments are just so key for both of those characters. Um, have either of you guys ever read the killing joke no. or seen, I think we watched it.
1: No, I didn't
0: watch it. I think it came out while you were gone, actually. Probably. So The Killing Joke is my favorite Batman comic, and that's a very edgy pick. It's considered one of the best Batman (laughs) comics. Um, But it starts out... um, Everybody should go read it, by the way. It's fantastic. It's like a a one-shot. It's just this self-contained story. It'll take you 20 minutes to read it. But it's incredible as far as dissecting the characters of Batman and Joker. It starts out with... Um, Batman going to visit the Joker in Arkham, and he sits down very calmly, and the Joker's playing, he's playing cards. And the The illustrations on it are so good. Everybody, please just go read the Killing Joke. We have it upstairs. You can read it, Becca. Okay, thanks. Um, or it might be downstairs. I don't know. where do we have our books. Um, and Batman says, "I've been thinking about it, and I think that, um, one of us is going to have to kill the other one." And he, he says that he doesn't know which one it's going to be, that he doesn't know if he's going to kill the Joker, if the Joker's going to kill him, but that like, they can't do this forever is basically what he's, what he's realizing. And then literally the ending of the comic is the Joker has this whole big elaborate plan. um, But the ending is the two of them sitting on a hill, looking out over Gotham, just like talking and saying the same thing that like, we're going to do this forever. Like, the Joker goes through this big, elaborate plan, gets Gordon involved, does all kinds of disgusting crap, and then they end right where they started. And it's just so effective. Please, everybody, go read The Killing Joke, because it's that good. Uh, Your library should have it. I don't know. Um, I love Batman. Batman is, like, so far and away my favorite superhero, just because I think his character is the most interesting. Um... Captain America is number two though. I love Captain America. Mostly cool. I love Chris Evans. <laughs> yes. Who doesn't? When he shows up in infinity war with the beard. Oh my gosh. I get a little hot and bothered. <laughs> Man's a piece. Holy Man, cow. Um
2: you too, bud. <laughs> um,
0: and then lastly, but not leastly, as far as my list goes, is just to quickly mention that technically this film is just incredible from the cinematography, the sound design sound editing mixing the score the editing the cinematography the directing the acting technically this film is just a masterpiece it's so well done and the movie looks so good it is such a pretty film there's one uh camera movement that i took note of this time that i don't think i've noticed before specifically and it's when they're at the fundraiser and he's got the knife up to Maggie Gyllenhaal's face. And the camera 360 spins around them like six times.
1: I, I made a note of that. I was so going to say I. that like right after oh you. Gosh.
0: Like just what what a shot. And what genius camera movement. And the way to pull it off without making the audience dizzy but still unsettling us. Yeah. Like heavens.
2: Oh, it's so good. so good. Another shot that I really liked. I don't remember if it was um, Lessons from a Screenplay or a different YouTube video. But someone pointed out... Um, When the Joker's hanging upside down And it starts showing him Just upside down And then they shift the camera To where he's right side up That's awesome I think that's so great I didn't think about that So good Such a good movie And the music Gosh
0: The music is incredible
1: So good Bah (gasps) Bah 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 Uh,
0: (laughs) That's actually my whole list Alright What did I miss?
1: I think Everything on my list has been said.
2: Yeah, I think that's about all that I have.
0: Well, there we go. Um, let's go ahead then, and I guess what round of final thoughts and rating out of ten. Yeah.
1: All right. Unless
2: we have more trivia.
0: Do we have any more trivia?
2: Um, I picked out the best ones. All right. Trivia I said what? Okay, there was a lot of trivia, but I will narrow it down. Um The GCN videos that, like, the Joker mails in, the really scary ones, those were all directed by Heath Ledger. The first one was um Nolan oversaw the filming of that, and then he was so impressed with it that he just, like, gave Heath Ledger the reins for the second one. Um... So with the prosthetics that Heath Ledger wore, they would come off a lot while he was talking. And so he would lick his lips to keep him on. And he just used that to become like a tick for the character.
0: I love crap like that.
2: That's so, so cool. Because
0: like that's such a key part of his character and like one of the more recognizable things about his performance. Yeah.
2: And he improvised a lot of stuff. I mean, he improvised the clapping scene in the in the jail after Gordon... Gets promoted to commissioner Jeez. Oh I forgot about oh. that scene I'm
0: so envious of people who are able to do that Just I get know. lost in a craft like that
2: Yeah And then um, Aaron Eckhart described the scene Where they're in the hospital And he said that before, prior to filming it He was kind of getting in the mindset of the Joker Because he, w- he wasn't methodly acting in this You know he wasn't trying to stay the Joker all the time So it was just like him walking back and forth mumbling to himself and then when he goes when he gets closer to um aaron eckhart he kind of like pulls away from him and just that like natural push and pull between the two of them and then after they were filming heath ledger said something like now that's what i call acting or something like that which is so great just (sighs) he's so good
0: why did he have to be taken from us
2: anyway um and then, so for the, the music, because the music is it's weird, but it's good. Um, what Hans Zimmer did is, especially for the Joker, he would involve by playing the piano with wire, or playing the piano wires with razor blades and guitar with shards of metal. Oh my gosh. Jeez.
0: Was it just Hans Zimmer on this? Was James Newton Howard involved at all? Do we um, know? Let's see. Because they shared on the first one, right?
2: Yeah. uh no it's both of them okay cool yeah. and then last one it's kind of just recently confirmed uh at the end with the fairies uh it's confirmed that if they were to detonate it would blow themselves up hmm. Yeah. and I think that's all the cool trivia for you
0: there you go all righty. All right. Um, I might actually go first this time. All right. I'll give you guys a second to think about it because I don't want to forget this thought. Um, I think that as for final thoughts go, I think it's um, I always love when you can find a cross section of a genuinely well made and well regarded film that's also wildly popular. I think that, um, you know, you have stuff like the Lord of the Rings and I guess probably the last three Harry Potter movies. Um, I don't know, just, like, coming to mind, like, Ocean's Eleven. I don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch out there, but it's it's much fewer than there are. In, like, it's it's a difficult cross-section to, to find. Movies that are wildly popular that everybody's seen and enjoys, but that also stand up to scrutiny and analysis and that kind of thing. I think that's a really impressive thing to have done here, and I think it's something that Nolan does... Better than maybe any other director working today because um, you look at things like Inception and Interstellar and The Prestige and the Dark Knight trilogy and Memento. He's got these movies that are wildly popular um, but that have a lot to say and, and really stand up to the analysis there. And I think that that's definitely a credit to his directing and filmmaking. I think that it's difficult to find a director who is as consistent as... Um, on that front as he is I mean even Dunkirk everybody everybody and their mom saw Dunkirk last year and it's a great movie for very different reasons than other Christopher Nolan movies are great but um I just a huge credit to him as a director he's not my favorite director um, but he's definitely high up on the list and that's one of the reasons because I think that's a really special talent to be able to make something so universal but also uh so awesome so I think that for me, on a scale of one to ten, the Dark Knight comes out to a nine point five. And I think that it it might be higher. It's just it it's not perfect. And the the imperfections though are so small that they're almost negligible. There's some there's a few cheesy lines here and there. There's a few bits of dialogue that are delivered not great, which again is I guess issues that exist across most Christopher Nolan movies, but I don't know. Really, like, don't worry about it. It's a great movie. For me, it's a 9.5, but that, like, that should tell you it's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's a great score.
0: Yeah. But I think a lot of people would put it on a on a 10. But I don't think it's a 10 for me.
1: I don't think it's a 10 for me either. Um, but I'm going to go now, I guess, because I started it. talking. Um, yes, I also love this movie a lot. And I love that it's a superhero movie, and it's awesome, but also that it's kind of dark. And that it has, like, themes in it that, like, you can really relate to, like, as a human being. Um, and I would rate it a 9.4. Right on. All
0: okay. right. Um,
2: yeah, I love this movie. I think... I love superhero movies, so I think I'm kind of naturally inclined to just love anything superheroes, except for, you know, Batman versus Superman. Well,
0: because they're bad movies.
2: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but seriously, I love everything about this movie. I love the acting. I love just the technical aspect of it. I love the story. Um, and I'm going to give this one a 10. I love this.
1: All right.
0: That puts us at what? Probably like a nine, seven, nine, eight. Yeah. Average. Yeah. Here's Sid's the thing. first 10. Woo! Sid's first 10.
1: I guess, have I? Oh no, yeah. Tree of Life, I rated it 10.
0: You give it to Tree of Life, yeah. Here's the thing. Just, I guess one last thing. When you have a movie and Gary Oldman is not like... The most talked about actor in the film you know the people have turned into some good performances <laughs> yeah oh yeah. yeah like that dude's a monster and people keep up with him which is crazy mm-hmm. we love this movie we could keep going forever but there's no point just go watch it yeah I um, mean at this point it would just turn into us saying oh I like this as well
2: yeah
0: <laughs> um we do have a special treat today we have today a revisionist corner
1: for
2: Sid for Sid. <laughs> Well, this isn't a uh, revision for what I thought about Gone Girl, but it's more on what I said that Amy's mental state was. Okay. I watched a YouTube video, and it was a psychologist analyzing uh, portrayal of mental health and in, in mental illnesses in movies. And so I, of course, because I am not a f- mental health professional, I misdiagnosed her. Mm-hmm. And she's more likely an uh, antisocial personality and a psychopath. Not a sociopath like I thought. Well, there we go. That's revision revisionist corner for you. That is revisionist corner for you. Good
0: correction. Uh, Becca enjoys Hereditary. now
1: <laughs> I like it more than other movies.
0: <laughs> Let's leave it at that. We saw a movie that Becca liked less than Hereditary. <laughs> today in fact if you could today. Believe it. Um, let's quickly dive into other topics but I don't want to go in too in depth because we're going to have our year end roundup that's going to cover a lot of uh, a lot of the movies that we're seeing right now. Um, Sid finally went and saw mid 90s mm-hmm. um, We all love it Yeah, mid 90s <gasps> is great go see it um, and we've all seen A Star is Born Beck and Sid went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody I need to go see it still um, Beautiful Boy comes out soon there's a lot of good stuff happening. So year-end roundup, we'll go into more detail on some of these. But today, the three of us did go see Suspiria.
2: Yeah. So to give did. you
0: a very quick thumbs up or thumbs down, this movie is incredibly difficult to recommend. Yeah. Very, very difficult to recommend. It's I'm,
1: crazy. I think it's hard to give it a thumbs up. It's easy for me to give it a thumbs down to most people. Yeah, I'd i agree with I feel that. like it's, it's hard to give it a thumbs up to... Anyone, here's really. the thing
0: this movie is bizarre,
1: yeah, for sure, just yeah. weird, yeah, like, but weird, weird. With that
0: said, it's so well made that, like, if you want to go in and just like, trust me when I say this, folks, like, it is weird,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, weirder than you're thinking right now, yeah, yeah. it's weird. however weird yeah. you
0: think it is, it's weirder, uh huh bloodier and nastier and more messed Uh, up ickier (laughs) like you don't feel great watching it
1: nope
0: (laughs) so like if that's what you're into is just like really wacky out there horror then i guess this one's for you but like becca said it's super hard to give a thumbs up to i don't regret going to see it because i i do think i enjoyed it i said on the car ride home like it, it's been a while since I've had such positive and such negative feelings about a single movie mm-hmm. that it's it's so hard to arrive on a consensus about whether or not I liked it because there's so much that I do like about it but like it's it's not one that I can ever imagine myself sitting down to watch again. Yeah, and I
2: could say that I could see myself sitting down to watch the first two hours yeah. and then the last half hour. I think I'd be okay not watching. There's I'd like.
1: Watch the dance scenes. Yeah. That's it. There's
0: some absolutely mind-blowing, incredible sequences in this film. Yeah. But they're all really jacked up. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yes, they are.
0: Um, So really hard to give it a thumbs up. But if you want to be weirded out and feel uncomfortable, we warned (laughs) you. I don't know.
1: I mean, I would have been okay living my whole life and never seeing this movie. But if you want to go see it. I guess go see it
0: Sid and I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than Becca did Which is unsurprising I
1: would say if you
2: enjoyed Hereditary This would be one that like You kind of have to get yourself ready for it But you're going to enjoy it
0: I read there was a comment on Reddit that said that um, This movie was basically If they took the ending of Hereditary And turned it up to 11 Yeah, But for the whole movie And I think that's fair I think that um, comparable As far as just out there wacky third acts you have like this, Hereditary and Mother. Yeah, are probably the only so. ones that are on this that even come close to this level. And to give you an idea, Hereditary is the most mild out of those three, I think.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So like, if you saw the ending of Hereditary and you're like, yeah, I could go, I could go weirder, then like go watch Mother. And if you watch the ending of Mother and you're like, I want to feel more uncomfortable, <laughs> then go watch Suspiria.
1: <laughs> that's a that's a good scale yeah good way to put it
0: but i would love to talk about mother sometime because i have highly controversial opinions about that movie
1: mm. we should watch it i sometime. really like it i actually did too i really didn't but this would be an interesting conversation would interesting i wouldn't one. be the one that didn't that like i mostly movie.
2: just don't like it because i didn't get the symbolism the first time and yeah. i really didn't like the baby part the
0: baby, that was, that yeah. was the, that's hard. what i'm saying the, the 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 third act of mother it's
2: is crazy
0: it's a fever dream. Yeah. That's the best way I can. <laughs> it the best really way I can is. describe it is the, the third act of mother is a nightmare. Imagine what it's like to have a nightmare and they have taken that and put it on film mm-hmm. in such an effective way that I really do think Suspiria might be the only other one that comes to mind immediately as far as like effectively capturing what it's like to be in a nightmare. Yeah. Which is really impressive. Also. I, I haven't seen all of his films. I just love Darren Aronofsky. Dude is whacked out of his mind. But I have yeah. I have never been anything but incredibly impressed with any films of his that I've seen. So, Black Swan might be a ten.
1: I don't think so.
0: I mean, uh, I I wouldn't expect you to call it a ten. Black Swan might be a ten for me. It's one I gotta consider. Okay, right. <laughs> there's there's some there's some pending tens in my head that I gotta watch at least one more time before I decide. And I think it's like Black Swan, Dancer in the Dark, and Enemy.
1: Yeah, I would say Dancer in the Dark and Enemy might be on. Well, I don't even know if I'd put Enemy as, as a 10. Dancer in the Dark's almost there, though.
0: Yeah, those are the ones that are currently pending for me that I haven't decided yet whether they're 10s. But they might be. All right. Um, yeah. Anything else for other topics?
2: You guys watched *Haunting of Hill
0: House*. Oh my gosh, did we watch *Haunting of Hill House*? <laughs> yes,
2: it was so my recommendation. Amazing. I just want to uh, congratulate. Can myself. we
0: can we spoiler really quick *Haunting of Hill House*? Can we like how bad? Have you seen it all? Oh yeah. Okay, okay so then
1: if, then people turn it off. Then you...
0: we are gonna go. I'm gonna count down from ten. I'm gonna give you plenty of time. If you have not finished *Haunting of Hill House*, we're gonna do a, a quick. 10 minute discussion here of it with full spoilers so i'm going to count down from 10 you have your opportunity to turn off the podcast now to not have it spoiled for you 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 okay
2: can we just scream ah, that's
0: all i can do it's to so express good it's amazing it's oh so my good
1: i'm so impressed it's so so good
0: the back half of episode 5 uh-huh. Um, which is um, Nellie's episode? Yeah, some of the most incredible television I've ever seen. Seems when like she's that. got her wedding party at the house and she's dancing around, I cried at that part. It was so magical, seriously, in the best way. Yeah, like, but
2: it's also creepy because they're intercutting it with her in like the actual house. But I, it like wasn't creepy. Though. It wasn't creepy
0: to me at all. It hurt me a little bit because it was. She was. She. Was finally in a place that was happy for her again. And that was so satisfying for me. I loved her character so much. So so seeing her be happy again was so satisfying to me. And then they follow that up with the freaking reveal that she's the bent neck lady. And I lost my freaking mind when she drops and you see her face and her head is crooked and you realize it. And then she starts dropping through the different memories because even earlier in the episode when she's in the hall with the vending machine and the bent neck lady drops down, I told Beck I was like, we've never seen her move that fast before. That's wacky. Like, what's going on here? Something's changed. Yeah. And then... 30 minutes later, she's boom, dropping down. And then when she's hovering over her on the couch doing the no, 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 no yeah. thing. Oh, my gosh. How <laughs> they flip flop that. Because at the beginning of the episode when they show that and the little girl is laying there. It's much And more she menacing. hears her. You, she hears her and you're like, what is happening? That's so creepy. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that it's her realizing what's going on. Like, that effed with my head.
1: Oh, my gosh. I, like, am getting chills right now. Like, probably one of the best reveals I've ever seen it. I
0: didn't thing. see it coming, and I I'm so glad. It yep. For anybody who's not coming out there, good for you, but I didn't, and I'm so glad that I didn't. I
1: don't know how you could see it coming. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the hallway scene, right before it happens.
0: But you never see her but, face.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe the, see the hair? It, like, I, don't know. Even, I don't know.
1: Even
2: after she like fell off, and you see her with the bent neck, I didn't even it didn't even click for me then. Until she dropped it again? It only clicked for me when you see her in the hallway with the vending machine. Because I'm pretty sure that was like the first
0: yeah she because she 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 falls and their neck breaks yeah and then it 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 starts to her body hangs there for a second yeah and the camera starts to zoom in but before it gets to her it drops yeah oh my gosh and then when
2: they actually showed her that's when i was like oh she is the bent neck lady yeah that's when it clicked i
1: was even thinking like up until like you see her with the noose like you realize that she's gonna hang herself and i was like Even thinking like, oh, that's kind of fitting that she's going to have a bent neck, like her bent neck lady. Like I didn't think that she was the bent neck lady. But then
0: like even at, was it the episode prior that the mom was like, you need to clear those ropes off, bodies hanging. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like,
1: (laughs) like who would say that? That was such a good foreshadow. Well, she says, she
0: says a ton of creepy crap in that scene because she's like, oh, so that the boy in the wheelchair can reach his books. Like they just kind of throw it in there because she's saying a lot of weird crap in that scene.
1: Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah.
0: So good. Um, and then I freaking loved the flapper girl.
1: Oh, yeah, Poppy. I'm into her. She was her. the only like scary, yeah. mean
0: ghost, but like the way that and like each of the dream sequences in the last episode, I thought every single one of them was like they, they just toy with your expectations so well because they started out with Steven's dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And you think like, oh, is there, are they going to tell it in flashbacks? That's so lame. Yeah. And then his wife starts saying really messed up crap. And you're like, what is going on?
1: Yeah. And then she starts turning like gray. Yeah. She starts like, like she, she's going to pop. Uh, I do think so that,
0: creepy. um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Theo's was my favorite though.
2: Yeah. She was awesome.
0: That whole sequence was incredible.
2: That was the one with that like the really hands. Good.
0: Yeah. The hands that come out. Um, but then also when, poppy tells the dad the story and she's like this man who he wanted to stay away so he built himself a wall and then when he woke up he was tall and you like realize that he's the the tall ghost that's so good
1: and he's the one who was in the wall in the bottom in the basement did you realize that
0: when they break down the brick wall and they find the body and he's got the cane but he doesn't have the bowler hat because luke has the bowler hat
2: I got to rewatch the show. So
0: she, she like, she like gets down and she's talking to the dad uh-huh. and she's like, there once was a man. She's like telling it like a rhymey way. Yeah. And she's like, she says like, Oh, and he felt small and he wanted to get away from the world. So he had the tools and he built himself a wall. And you think that she's talking like an emotional wall, uh-huh. but he literally built himself into a wall and she's like, and then he, but he, then he realized he didn't want to be in there. And so he scratched until the scratches sounded like rats. And then when he woke up, he was tall.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, but also he was terrifying. I he lo- was. That was my
0: favorite image. In the I, I liked the image of the tall floating bowler hat ghost more than the bent neck lady. I thought he was yeah. so menacing.
2: He was so scary when he's just like floating and then Luke when so he goofy. like he's holding his breath and then he makes a noise and mm-hmm. he just like stops and he just like slowly turns around and his hand. Oh but not even oh that.
0: I gosh. thought that the scariest moment with him was in Luke's episode when he's pacing and counting and the guy is just floating behind him yeah and, and Luke like getting not look at him yeah Ugh.
1: so scary oh
0: so good just,
2: that show was so so freaking good
0: are you in, and another favorite moment is when uh luke is in his fever dream and they're in the room oh, and yeah. baby or like child nelly is at the table and the mom oh, is like come wake up and she's like don't
1: yeah and they all have the bowler hats Go, on. And then
0: they, t- yeah, it turns around and they all have the bowler hats on. And like just the visuals in that are so, the visuals in the whole series are so incredible. They're so good. Or the moment where Theo and Shirley are driving and fighting. Oh my gosh. That was the, that, here's the thing. Like I said, we watched 31, or we watched a scary movie every day for a month. And that was the first time in 31 days that I jumped. Yeah. Is when Nellie pops out of the backseat. So,
2: that was that was scary. Oh my gosh.
0: Did not see it coming. Uh-huh. No uh one knock against it some of the monologues get a little excessive on the back half yeah of the series
1: mostly uh mr dudley's
0: mr dudley's was really long that
1: was way too long which one
0: the one where they're in the basement and he's talking about the baby crying or whatever okay especially because it didn't turn out to be anything
2: yeah Yeah, i would say so but it was still fine
0: because here's my thing when he was talking i was like they don't actually have a daughter yeah i was like when she talks about her daughter she's talking about the baby that died in the mansion yeah but it turns out they but did she have a did, daughter and, and she Abigail did die in the mansion. Was Abigail was real. That, that was a mansion. crazy reveal too that Abigail was real. That yeah. was really That cool. was a nutso twist. Yeah,
1: but Like she, she was actually having a sleepover. She yeah. like, that's crazy.
0: I do want to rewatch it because I there's a lot of things that I've read about it since then um, as far as them like hiding ghosts in yeah. the frame.
2: I knew about that beforehand and I like, I found a BuzzFeed article that like showed you all of them. And it was awesome. Oh. Well, I don't we want saw BuzzFeed to get the them. clicks though
0: because I hate BuzzFeed.
1: I'm sure you can find another.
0: Maybe
2: another website.
0: We found several.
1: Like the one in the ladder? Yeah, the one in yeah. the yeah, the one in the ladder. I feel like that's like the m- That's the most, most obvious one.
0: Yeah. Um but apparently I read this as well like a lot of the statues will change positions or yeah. they'll change how they're standing or they'll move around like the, the decorations of the house are nowhere near static.
1: Yeah. Well, and did you notice in the last episode how, um, Steve and his dad were standing right where the statues were, mm-hmm. the statues were gone. I thought that was such a cool I didn't notice that. like
2: shot. Yeah. Yeah. There was one where, um, you see the, the statue in the background and then you see the mom go into a room. And mm-hmm. when she comes back out, the statues head face is faces towards her
0: yeah and it's like these things that it's they're really cool choices by the production team because they're things that 99.999 percent of people are not going to notice but your subconscious registers that things are changing and it makes you feel uneasy like it's such a it's just a detailed decision to make that really has relatively low payoff for the amount of work that i'm sure that it took yeah but again it it adds to that uneasy feeling that you have in the house
2: but i think it's it kind of points to the red room and how it's always changing yeah which
0: i didn't pick so that awesome. again that one took me way too long to get
2: yeah I, I even know, as I didn't she get was it explaining i was like mm, what like it's just, just it doesn't make much sense but then uh sorry but i found this in another buzzfeed article like little points where you can see how the red room isn't real i mm-hmm. mean the window in all the rooms is the same it's a long rectangular window. Oh. And then um, at the beginning, when Shirley's having her dream, she says, Theo dancing in the red room. Yeah. And then um, every time someone, like uh, the part where Stephen brings Mrs. Dudley the vanity, mm-hmm. he says, I got it in the game room. She's the what?
0: Yeah, there's a few. And, and then there's.
1: And yeah, she's like, I set. got it in the toy room. And she's like,
0: what? Well, yeah. and even like um, Steven says it a few times. Like, I always tell mom that you're hanging out in your tree house, but she doesn't know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. And then the dad, I never built him a tree house.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's good. just
2: so good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had a dream about it and it was scary. And then I woke up and I couldn't sleep because one, I was scared. And two, I couldn't stop thinking about how good the show was. It's so good. <laughs> so freaking good.
0: It's been a while since I've seen a TV show as satisfying as yep. that one,
2: because it wrapped up really
1: nicely too.
0: Yeah, they better not do a second season. Just leave it. Yeah, just leave just it. Leave
1: it's perfect it. the way it is.
0: I wouldn't say it's perfect.
1: Okay, you're right. It's not. perfect. It's really good the way it is. Episodes really good the way it is. Eight and nine were not that great.
0: Yeah, episodes five and six are masterful oh television making though. Yes. The long the long cuts on six are just incredible.
1: The tracking and oh, rotating yeah.
2: shots. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: And the way that they um insert and remove characters and even like swap actors there's a couple scenes where they'll like they'll do like rotating 360 shots where it'll like focus on like the dad for example and it'll flip and like you know adult Nelly's there and then it flips around again and corpse Nelly is there and like they'll like swap out actors Mm -hmm. during single cuts yeah it's just nutso like really impressive camera work so so cool so, Haunting a Hill House, if you made it this far and you haven't seen it, go watch it.
1: Yes, it's amazing. It's only
0: 10 episodes. You watch more of The Office than that any given yeah. weekend, I guarantee it, whoever you are. I
1: finished it <laughs> in three days, so. Yeah, so did so we. Did we. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, okay, I think that's it for today, yeah?
2: Yeah, yeah I believe so.
0: Okay. Um, we thank you all for listening. Uh, next week, obviously, we'll be discussing the Dark Knight Rises to conclude our Dark Knight trilogy. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you have any questions, you have any movies you want to suggest or anything like that, you can find us at Facebook.com slash we watch Movies and then talk about them or on Instagram at MoviesWeWatch. Uh, slide into the DMs and uh, tell your mom about the podcast. Listen to it with her. She's going to love it for sure. And we thank you for listening. We love you. I am Andrew.
1: I'm Becca. I'm Sid.
0: And we'll catch you next time. See ya. Right.
1: Bye.